In this podcast episode, Brandy speaks to Bob Williams, Safeguarding Manager at North Yorkshire Police, about conducting virtual multi-agency risk assessment conferences, also known as MARACs, which are vital to supporting victims through the challenges of COVID-19. So welcome everyone. Today I'm here with Bob Williams, Safeguarding Manager for North Yorkshire Police, uh, and we're here to talk about virtual multi-agency meetings, particularly MARACs, and a bit about METACs. So Bob, thank you so much for joining us, um, and um, hoping you can just give us a bit of a background of uh, your experience in um, MARAC, METAC, multi-agency meetings, uh, pre and pre-COVID-19 and currently during COVID-19. Okay, thank you, uh, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to speak with you. So we began trialling telephone-based MARACs uh, probably about two years ago in North Yorkshire, uh, and that was with a view to making our MARACs more efficient, more effective. One of the immediate changes we saw was um, a rise in the number of agencies who were able to attend, and the feedback that we'd had previously was that the travelling time um, for some agencies, together with sometimes meetings overrunning or meetings not running to time, meant that some professionals were uh, reluctant to attend. So we found the the benefits uh, within a very, very short period of time. We also noticed during some periods of adverse weather a few years ago that Marat was able to continue because of the telephone-based system. So we introduced it across the whole of North Yorkshire probably about six months ago. Initially, as as you could perhaps expect, there's the nervousness that perhaps the meetings aren't as effective because you can't see the look on on that person's face, you can't see in their eyes. Um, But to be quite honest, the feedback that I've had when I've canvassed the the people who attend our MARACs, that hasn't really been the case. I think people see the meetings as efficient and it's um, it's very much um, it's very much businesslike. So we've done away with perhaps the, the, the conversations and the networking that, that um, used to take place, that perhaps could be seen as a downside. But in, in all honesty, the majority of feedback we get, and I mean the vast majority of feedback we get, it's, uh, it's very positive and it's seen as an effective way to, um, to risk assess um, and make sure our victims and children are kept safe. That's great. I think that that speaks to some of the particular challenges in North Yorkshire being one of the largest areas in England, um, but also it's really relevant during this time where we're on lockdown and services aren't able to uh, travel around, meet with clients, meet with professionals. Um, but it sounds like for you, you've carried on with kind of business as usual. Um, yeah. yeah, so when we started um, planning our, our false response for COVID-19, domestic abuse and MARAC was, was, um, was obviously one of those areas. And I'm glad to say that we're into, um, the, well, certainly the first week of lockdown, I was in self-isolation for, for two weeks previous, but we were able to continue MARAC without any changes whatsoever. So although ordinarily we'd use um, telephone-based conference facilities at the police station, they're available from, um, from mobile phones, they're available from a variety of apps on your mobile phones, so you don't incur any additional costs. And we've been able to host the meetings as normal. There's been some very, very minor changes, as you'd expect, 
where some agencies are, are struggling to cope with demand, as an example, um, children and family services because of, of the uh, the rise in, in their demand. Um, they're able to send reports and if they're not able to attend the meetings, so we're still able to share the information. We're still able to manage risk and set actions through that meeting process, although, um, you know, on some occasions, our colleagues from uh, other agencies aren't able to attend. But the critical thing for me is we're still able to share the information, risk assess, and keep our children and victims safe. Absolutely. I think one of the um, challenges with um, and, and going virtual doesn't necessarily mean that you're going daily. And I think um, you have different areas doing different things in North Yorkshire. Um, but um, one of the the sort of components of an effective Merrick is victim voice. Um, and so I wanted to sort of get your perspective on how victim's voice is carried over into a virtual Merrick. Is that something that you feel has um, suffered at all? Is it something that, you know, the IDVAs and, and other professionals are still bringing? Absolutely. And, and that is, you know, probably one of the most important parts of that of that meeting we want to work with our victims and, and keep them and their children safe. So hearing their voice and hearing their concerns are critical to managing that risk and making sure that they retain confidence in the MARAC process and you know, all the agencies involved. So we, um, we structure our meetings where initially we'll hear the information from the referring agency and we hear what brings this case to, to MARAC today. So what's happened, who's at risk, who they're at risk from, and what is the chronology of, um, of of previous incidents and agency involvement that the referrer knows of. We then generally hear information if there are children from uh, our children and family services, so that we can establish who's at risk and what that risk actually looks like. And then we have a, a batting order, if you like, where we hear information and that lends itself particularly well to, to keeping a structure to the meeting. So once we've heard our information from children and family services and we know who's at risk, um, then we hear our, our, um, our victim through, um, in, in North Yorkshire's case, through IDAS, and we hear what the victim's concerns are, some of the disclosures she may have made to IDAS which um, haven't been shared with the police, and we establish what that victim's afraid of, what their plans are, and obviously risk assess around that. The, the other um, agency who feature in the vast majority of cases in, in the city of York and North Yorkshire are our mental health services. So it's very important that we hear their information um, very early on. Uh, and then after the information from mental health, we go into our perpetrator support programs. So what is known by them, so we'll hear from our own, um, our own service known as Foundation, and then we'll hear from other services such as Probation and um, the CRC, so we get a picture of who the perpetrator is engaged with, what that engagement looks like, and again, we can risk assess around the victim when we set our actions uh, as, far as, as we form the action plan later on. The drug and alcohol services, again, um, a key player in our MARAC, we find the majority of our, um, our meetings and the majority of our cases involve people with um, drug and alcohol dependencies and other um, sometimes illicit drug use. 
adult safeguarding, again, critical. A huge, huge number of our cases are known to our colleagues from adult safeguarding. And likewise, with our more localised services with children, so midwifery, as an example, from the, um, from the NHS, housing, a key player, and again, schools. Um, so we try, wherever possible, to get information from schools around the management of risk. So in, quite different to a child protection conference, the information we need is, are there any concerns? Um, what is the, um, how is the child presenting? Has there been a, ch a change in the child's behaviour? How do parents engage? And have there been any early warning signs which perhaps in isolation haven't triggered alarm bells, but is there any information that at this stage perhaps is the last piece in that jigsaw that means, yes, this does reach the safeguarding threshold for a child, as an example, and will set the action at the MARAC for an agency to submit that safeguarding referral. So the structure for me is one of the key uh, is one of the key areas, and that I think is one of the places where I see the telephone-based system as beneficial. Because certainly when I chaired these meetings previously, um, where we'd be sat around a desk, in so on some occasions in some areas, the preferred route was we'd go around a desk one way, you know, for the morning, and round the other way in the afternoon. Whereas now, because we have that structure agencies know when they're, they're going to have their opportunity to speak. So that promotes that good discipline that people don't speak over each other and people know that sometime during that meeting they'll be given the opportunity to share their information, share their concerns and contribute to the MARAC. And as a chair, you know, how have you found managing that to sort of keeping to that structure, being able to kind of synthesize all that information to pull out what the risks are and um, encourage agencies to do that action planning? I think initially um, agencies who perhaps aren't familiar with the process will be um, eager and understandably eager to share their information. Um, so realistically, I think the, the best option for me was to send out to partners in advance of our, our first telephone-based conference what that meeting should look like. And we outlined quite simply how we wanted that meeting to run and to provide that reassurance that although your information um, is very important and may be critical, we need to keep to this order so that we are able to structure the meeting, hear everyone's information and move away from people speaking over one another, people eager to deliver their own information so not listening to a, a other agencies' information. So I think the, the key for me from the initial meetings was outline to partners quite clearly what the expectations are and how we foresee those meetings running. Mm -hmm. So in the two years, um, I would say that they run very, very smoothly, certainly in York and in the other areas who are, where it's, it's newer process. I see them having improved dramatically and they are seen as the, the favoured option. And as we stand now um, with the restrictions on travel, etc., it just lends itself particularly well to times of crisis when we're able to support our highest risk victims and their children and manage our perpetrators at times when we don't have to think about how we're going to address this. We're just able to continue delivering as we would ordinarily. 
Yeah, and I think that speaks to the culture that you've built around virtual Marax and whether they're virtual Marax or in-person Marax, how professionals are coming to those meetings, how they're interacting with each other, the buy-in that they have, you know, that they're they're there not just to bring the information, but that they're there to bring their expertise as well, and that they yeah. value the expertise of other professionals. Um, and you're right, in times like this, that's so crucial because everybody will be doing the best that they can. And if you've got those kind of nuts and bolts nailed down, it frees you up to really focus on yeah, identifying the risks and, and setting actions around those. Yeah, and, and that expertise is um, is really obvious when you may have an agency that don't have information for that particular case, but they're part of the MARAC, and they may bring ideas, they may bring inspiration, they may bring um, experience from cases where they've tried something diverse, they've, they've taken a different approach, and that lends itself particularly well to that uh, action plan at the end because you know they're the experts in their field and yes they might not have information for that case but they've certainly got the expertise to share with that meeting and that is where the the delegates um, really really make a difference it's in that uh, that expert ad advice that experience and that's what enables uh, enables us in, in a lot of cases to look at different actions things that perhaps as, as agencies individually we may not have thought of but that's what Marac is all about it's about sharing that information sharing ideas and effective um, action planning and one of the other big benefits that that, uh, that we see with such a rural force is the opportunities for engagement for services in our outreaching areas are equal to those within the urban areas Mm -hmm. because our technology is, is a means of everyone joining in, taking part. So it means that our victims in hard-to-reach areas are able to access the same service within Marac as those in our, our urban areas. So it does lend itself very well to making sure that the, the more difficult-to-reach groups are still able to contribute and we're still able to risk assess in the same way as we would if they're on our doorstep. Absolutely. And I think, again, as you've highlighted, while we're in this period of restriction, whether we're in an urban or rural setting, we're all dealing with that um, added complexity. So, um, again, I think you had uh, already were kind of a bit ahead of the game in that regard. Yeah. So we, one of the other um, areas of, of work where we've been able to take our learning from MARAC is in the multi-agency tasking and coordination. So within MATAC, when we structured that um, what, 18 months ago now, we immediately went to a telephone-based system. So we had an initial meeting where we got all, all our partners around the table. We talked about what the meeting would look like. We had um, a virtual meeting, if you like, um, but all, all in a room. We shared information so that everyone was aware of what that would look like. Um, and then we went straight into, when we went live, into a telephone-based system. So again, while we've had the restrictions on, on travel, etc., we've still been able to manage our perpetrator work through a telephone-based process. And again, because partners have similar issues, so as an example, um, colleagues within the prison service, 
have now developed new means of delivering some of the letters that we um, we pass to those who are in custody at, at, at local prisons. So there's now a process in place. So there's minor tweaks, but those minor tweaks are, are very much, um, in, in most cases, they're common sense changes. And we ha we're not having to change the mechanism for sharing information. All we're changing is the minor tweaks that perhaps rather than have a one-to-one -one meeting with a with a prisoner at HMP Hull. That letter will be passed under the door for the um, for the person to read, and then there'll be a conversation through the uh, prison hatch on the door, where the prison staff will explain what that letter means, what support is available upon release, and what that will look like. So again, it's lent itself well to other areas of business where we can continue as normal irrespective of any um, any issues around travel, weather, etc. So um, we're very, very much bought into it. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, um, it does lend itself very well, and it just means business as usual. So it means our focus is on victims and children and managing the perpetrators as opposed to having to think about, well, how are we going to get this to run now? Yeah. And I think, again, that speaks to... The, the health of your multi-agency forums. Um, so, you know, whether it's a MARAC, a MATAC, children's social care, sort of child protection meetings, it's about how agencies are working together in the best way to pool the information to get the, the most full picture possible for all of the family members so that you can identify the risks and needs and then respond to those at the appropriate level. Um, and it sounds like yeah, you're doing some brilliant work. Do you have any um, anything else you wanted to share with areas that may be trying this for the first time in response to COVID-19? Um, any uh, tips? Any um, you know challenges that you think? Oh, if you're thinking about this, make sure you you know factor in this yeah. this issue. So I would suggest that you send out in advance of your first meeting what the expectations are and perhaps your proposed running order and to ask delegates to um, to respect that. If there is anything urgent or if, as an example, a question is asked by an agency early on and that lends itself well to another agency sharing information, then, yeah, we're flexible about it. Um, but wherever possible, we try and keep to, to that order for reasons that, that I've already outlined. Yeah. The other big issue is um, what, I, what I'd call telephone discipline. And if particularly when it's being shared on a mobile phone or there's a lot of people on mobile phones, there is opportunity for a lot of background noise unless agencies are very disciplined and keep their phones on mute um, when they're not speaking. That probably is the, the biggest issue that bars effective communication is the feedback and the background noise during meetings when people don't put their telephones on to mute. So we'll remind people of that at the beginning of the meeting and sometimes during the meeting, and um, that um, is, is critical to the effective share of information because there's nothing worse than, than and not hearing that information as the chair because of background noise, in particular, you know, people typing, uh, mm. the conversations that are going on in the background, it's really distracting. So it's worth mentioning that in the initial plans to partners. Um, and, and just to reiterate, please, please be very disciplined with your um, telephone handset because 
background noise interferes with the smooth running of Marat meetings. I wanted to ask just um, about, because you said some agencies understandably are struggling to call into uh, the MARAC, so they're sending their information in. Um, how is that shared? Is that shared by the chair? Is that shared by um, MARAC coordinator? Um, just to make sure that that gets heard, how is that being managed? Okay, so um, our, our internal process will be any reports that are received with apologies, they will go to the coordinator. Um, I'll make a note that there is information to share, and at the point where I would um, go to that agency, I'll go to the coordinator who will share that information. And any questions of that information, the, um, the coordinator will return to the referring um, or to the submitting agency, and then we'll share any further updates through the, um, the minutes process. So we make sure that all the information is shared initially after the meeting, and then the answers to questions that are asked during the meeting will share as updates. So again, all the information shared is critical. All the uh, agencies are as up-to-date as possible. Yeah. Again, that highlights that America is so much more than just that, you know, 12 minutes that you're discussing that particular case. It is a process, and, and there should be lots of work going on outside of, of any meeting. Um, and certainly, yeah, chairs, coordinators, referring agencies, those are all, um, all the other partners are doing their part um, in that safeguarding. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing kind of your expertise in this. And, um, you know, I am interested to hear, you know, if there are any other developments as we, you know, move into continued weeks of uh, isolation and restriction. Um, but uh, I also know that you've offered for people to get in touch with you if they're having any struggles. Um, is there a, an email or um, what's the best way to, for them to communicate with you? I think the, the, the best uh, way currently would be via email. So um, please email me at uh, robert.williams at northyorkshire.pnn .police.uk, and I'll get back to you. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Bob. We also are able to provide support to areas um, that may be facing some particular challenges um, to their multi-agency forums uh, due to COVID-19, but also, you know, more generally speaking. So um, you can always reach us at info at safelives.org.uk. 